Many of us have a stack of books on our desks, or a list of podcast episodes like this one filling up our queues. But sometimes we don't get what we need from new ideas and models. Not because we're not willing to use them, but because they're not the perfect fit. In this episode, how to actually get traction with all those ideas. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 549. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. This is one of the Saturday casts. Several times a year, I air a Saturday episode that's a chat with one of our Academy members or listeners. The next regular episode is still coming on Monday, so this is an extra episode. The Saturday casts are sponsored and brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. The Academy is a year-long cohort of participant leaders who work personally with me to create movement in their leadership development and organizational results. You can discover more and get alerted about opportunities to apply for the Academy by visiting coachingforleaders.com slash academy. And of course, one of the things we are often talking about in our Academy cohorts is how to take leadership theory and to turn it into practical results. How do we really find that intersection that's going to work well to actually get movement on the things that many of us have learned from books and from podcasts and be able to really make it work for the organization each day? Today, I'm so glad to welcome one of our Academy members who absolutely has been doing that throughout his career and has a wonderful message for us on how we can practically do that in our own learning and in our own organizations. I'm so glad to welcome Nickel Verheem to the show. He is a globally recognized leader and innovator, senior business executive, serial entrepreneur, and a prolific angel investor. He's been recognized for his impact in the film industry with a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Society of Camera Operators and an Academy Award for Sciences and Engineering, also known as a Technical Oscar. He was recently recognized also with the Innovator of the Year Award from the leading business journal here in Orange County, California. Nickel currently serves on the Executive Management Board of the Vitech Group as Divisional CEO of Creative Solutions and as the CEO of Teradec. As a technology leader, he's responsible for the strategy, roadmap, and execution of Teradec's highly recognized high-tech video products that drive more than $100 million in annual revenue with dominant market share across the globe. He lives right here near me in Orange County, California, and is also a member of the Coaching for Leaders Academy. Nickel, what a pleasure it is to have you on the show. Thank you, Dave. It's so great to be here. I would love to set the stage for our listeners in how we typically run some of our academy sessions in that it's often the case that when we begin a session, we will check in on what's happened over the last couple of weeks on the commitments and the work that we have been doing to drive toward not only our commitments, but our visions. And so we'll begin sessions often by saying, hey, you know, what's happened in the last two weeks? What action have you taken? And about, let's see, six months a year ago, we started an academy session and we were going around the virtual room and talking about what everyone had done in the last two weeks and what had happened and what movement and giving folks feedback. And you jumped in and said, well, you know, last week I won an academy award. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was quite a moment of just uh, awe for all of us of just this incredible achievement that you've had. I'm going to link up to some of the technology that you've done over the years, which is incredible. But I'm wondering if you could uh, share a bit of just what that experience was like of, of winning an Oscar. It was quite a journey. It's quite a process to actually go through it. You get nominated typically by one of your product users, by a customer. And then if they decide you're on the shortlist, you basically have to prove to them that you are worthy of the recognition. And I was notified that I have to submit something that is basically going to be our application for an Oscar. While I was traveling in London, and uh, the only thing that I had with me was my little laptop and I didn't even have much time. So what I did is I quickly made a presentation that was just a few static black and white pictures. And I narrated over this just using my built-in microphone on my laptop. Huh. The story of how we got here. How did we manage to build a product that's now used worldwide that's really impacted the industry in a very positive way? But certainly we don't deserve a lot of the credit for it or, or even most of the credit for it because this was based on science and technology that's been decades or even centuries in the making. So I told the story of how we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm taking it all the way back to the guy that invented electromagnetism, James Maxwell. I made a little video from that. It was a really bad sound quality, very simple <laughs> graphics. It was just a few black and white pictures that I scraped of Google. And I submitted that, but I guess the way that the story got threaded together was impactful enough that the Academy thought we were worthy of, of the reward, the, the award. It's such a great story. And by the way, we'll link to the page for folks who want to learn more and with that presentation that's on there. And it's just such a great example of, you know, how great work, you know, really does come together over years and create something that's really, really tremendous. And, you know, it's a great lead into our conversation today because so much of the leadership wisdom that I know you've read over the years, you have taken and really made it yours. And I, I think this is a really interesting discussion for us, Nicole, because sometimes people reach out to me and they'll say, some version of, you know, I've listened to the podcast for a while and I've read all these books and you had one person on your show a year ago and they said this and then more recently you had someone else and they kind of said something that sounded contradictory. And then they'll ask me, who's right? And I always respond and I say, well, it's kind of not the right question to ask. It's not who's right, because, of course, they're both right for that person, for that situation, for that model, for that research, whatever. It's what do you take and then make it your own? What do you take from one book, from one podcast, from uh, one speaker, one expert, and then integrate it and really make it yours? And I think that that's the step that I see that a lot of people miss. And you really have done this so consistently throughout your career. And I think the an interesting place to start this conversation is, of all places, with something I know nothing about, which is hockey. <laughs> you told me a story recently of your son getting a new pair of hockey skates and what you do when you get a new pair of hockey skates. And it was really amazing to me. Would you share that? Like just what's involved when you pull them out of the box? Sure. So 
Um, my son is 14 years old, which means he's still growing a lot. So every year, basically, he needs new hockey skates. He's playing for the junior ducks at a very competitive level. So unfortunately, I have to fork out a few hundred dollars every year for a new pair of skates. And then ironically, the first thing that you do, even though you you know buy this high-tech carbon fiber single molded skate, the first thing that you do when you get home is you take the skate and you stick it in the oven. And you leave it in the oven for about 20, 30 minutes so that it gets nice and warm. And then you take it out and he puts the skate on and you lace it up very, very tightly. Uh And that way, you literally mold that skate to now be a perfect match for his foot. It fits like a glove afterwards. So I think that's a, a good analogy of what one should do whenever you read one of these business books and you get one of these sound bites of advice. You should take it, stick it in the oven, warm it up and make it your own Mm. because, you know, different people will take different things away from it. Yeah, indeed. And and that's the piece that I think a lot of people never do. They get really far along. They've read the books. They've used the models, but they don't do that last step of put it in the oven and really mold it and make it theirs. And, And you and I have talked a lot in the last couple of years about just ways you've done that. And I thought it'd be really interesting to highlight some of the ways you've done that, that you've baked some of these ideas and then created something that's really worked for you and your organization in order to get traction and to really get movement on these in a way that worked for you and the culture at Teradek and all the other things you're involved with. And so I thought we'd maybe look at a few of these. And one of the phrases that we've many of us have heard over the years is fail fast, right? And uh, I know that's in the Lean Startup book by Eric Ries, which is real popular, especially in the technology space, but we hear it a lot of places. But one of the things you've said to me before is that the fail fast message, it may not necessarily be the exact message you want to share for others, with others, rather, because it may not necessarily be the message that people should interpret, right? Yeah. So if you take a message like that, so clearly they try to come up with a memorable quote, So fail fast is really short and succinct, but it's not really unambiguous. It's not really clear. What are you supposed to do? So if imagine you're an employee and your manager tells you, we got to fail faster. (laughs) What, what, what does that mean? Are you supposed to run headfirst into a wall Mm. that that's fast? And you're certainly going to be a failure if you've done it enough times, right? You haven't achieved anything. So I think what makes more sense is to take that short, impactful soundbite but then turn it into something that is now more meaningful for your organization. So I look at it, for example, as learn faster through failing faster. Ah. That's really the point of the failure. The point of the failure is to learn because failing is a very quick, very good master, right? So what's the saying? Experience is a harsh tutor because it always gives you the test before it gives you the lesson. Yeah. So, so if you allow people to learn through experimentation, that's a very quick way to actually learn. And then finally, get to the right strategy or product or whatever it is through iterations and then course corrections. And so some people will still look at me with a blank stare if I tell them, learn faster through failing faster, because what, it sounds as if I want them to make mistakes. Then I will, I will dumb it down even more. And I will say, look, none of us learned to walk without f- falling over first. 
Mm. And nothing has changed. That is still the best way for you to learn. Now, I know maybe many of your listeners don't have children, but you can imagine it because all of us were children at one point. And yeah. none of us, none of us learned to walk without falling over first. You get up on your wobbly legs, you take a few hesitant steps, and typically you face plant right away. But then the important thing is you get up and you try again. And you keep on falling, getting up, trying again, subtly changing your direction until you're running around the house in no time at all. That is the best way for the human brain to learn through experimentation, through failure, through course correction, and then repeat, rinse and repeat over and over. Yeah, what I hear you saying there is that you you took a, a really popular phrase of, you know, fail fast, and you changed it a bit and you you baked it to really have purpose behind it and to communicate it in such a way that the folks in your organization, especially they're working on a lot of technology, would really understand and appreciate that there's purpose behind failing quickly because we're learning because it's leading us to the next iteration. It's, uh, it's helping us to adapt. And that's, like you said, it's so much a part of the human condition and how we learn. Yeah, and it's, it's important because what you're actually trying to do is you're really trying to embed it in people's way of thinking. You really want to make it part of the culture. And so, so that way, you can't just have a little motivational poster on the wall. You really need to make it part and partial of how people approach the problem. And to do that, you need to let them bake the skate until it fits them. And an easy way to communicate that is often through analogies like this. Yeah, indeed. And it's interesting what you just said, like you might be talking to someone that then themselves takes that lesson and bakes it a bit more and really molds it to their particular experience, their role. But the key here is not the analogy itself necessarily, but it's making it theirs and them taking ownership over the idea, over the purpose behind the message. And if they're doing that, then that's that's good work for you to be doing as a leader to be able to communicate the message and the outcome ultimately, right? Absolutely. And recognize that in this analogy, there's actually two parties. There's the kid that learns to walk. And there's also the parents that allow the kid that freedom to learn how to walk. Mm. So as a leader, I think you need to do two things in this context. First, you need to create a safe space. You need to allow people a place where they can experiment and they can fail without hurting themselves. So if you have children, you'll know you shouldn't have a coffee table with really sharp edges in the room where the kid is learning to walk, right? Right. So as a leader, you need to remove the, the real hazards so that people can experiment and that the failure doesn't sting that much, but it becomes a, you know, a pleasant learning experience. So maybe if you're in electronics, you know, make sure that you keep that fire extinguisher nearby. Yeah. Or if you're, if you're in software, make sure that you demo this step-by-step, step, maybe to friends and family or, or friend lease at least, before you actually go and do it to a key customer. Now, obviously, this is different depending on whether you're in development. You know, I don't really want my tax attorney to experiment with my tax return. Right, exactly. I to nail it the first time around. Exactly. And I'm sure I, I don't want the surgeon to, to have multiple attempts at, at getting the heart surgery right. But for people in development, especially for software or electronics, this iterative process of just trying, failing, learning, repeating, um, that really speeds things up 
Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that that speaks to the heart of what I hope people take away from this conversation is also thinking about, okay, that analogy may not work in my organization. I may not be in technology development necessarily, but what would be the version of that that would work? What's the analogy? What's the baking that I would do in order to really put that on and make that work where I am? And that actually leads me to one of the other ones that all of us have heard so many times. I don't even know what book it's from. There's, it's been mentioned so many places. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? That old cliche. And one of the things that you've pointed out to me is that sometimes people interpret that the wrong way, don't they? Yeah, I think like any cliche, it's overused and, and then it kind of loses its impact. But you can still use that same process and, and make it your own. And so when I looked at this statement, I think most people interpret it the wrong way around. They think it means you should know people that's powerful or influential or maybe really wealthy so that they can help you. But I don't think that's the power in that statement. I think the power in that statement is actually when you interpret it almost the other way around. For you to become successful, you will need a lot of help. We all do. So if you know a lot of people that's willing to help you, then you're basically building an army. And now you're becoming the one that's powerful and that's influential, and that can actually get the job done. So for me, this was more a case of be friendly, network with people. I, I call it networking for commoners. Don't be shy, just ask for introductions, whether this is a customer or a vendor or a colleague. Networking is incredibly important. But it's, it's networking, not with the goal to get to someone massively influential and successful. Instead, it's networking to build a giant group of people that might be willing to help you or maybe specifically work for you. And, you know, it might sound like nothing, but just to give you a practical example. Please. I, I left a company in about 2007. I ended up hiring my ex-boss and I actually hired his bosses two children. Oh, wow. So all of this just happened through networking for the commoners. I, I built friendships and relationships with these guys, these, these guys. And when the opportunity arose, they were delighted to come and work and to come and help. And, and they identified with the cause. So it's a little bit like building a mafia, but without the crime. Yeah. Well, I love the phrase networking for commoners because it also implies you're not just trying to, I mean, yes, there's value in going and building relationships with the really successful, highly visible people out there, but there's a ton of value, perhaps even more of reaching out within your existing network, the people you're already interacting with. And Nicola, I'm thinking about what you said. And when people start podcasts, I mean, one of the things they tend to do is they try to get like the biggest name people on their show right away. And one of the things that I heard early on from someone, I don't remember who, but they said, you know, have the people on your show as guests and the experts, the people that are going to be the well-known people 5, 10, 15 years from now and build relationships with them. And it's interesting that that has actually happened now a bunch now that I'm 10 years in, in, in my career of people that nobody had ever heard of, you know, eight, nine years ago when we were building relationships early on, all of a sudden, those are people now that have built like really big followings because of the quality of their work, because of where they were going. It reminds me exactly of what you're telling us to do. And, and, and actually, the same is really true for you. If I think back to your story in the early days of Teradek, you were so focused on getting the right people in the organization, building a great network. And ultimately, 
the way the company started wasn't even the technology that you ended up building and being recognized for by the academy is it it's when it it, it, the people are the same but the technology changed so much didn't it absolutely so so this is a real world example of where we iterated where we failed we adjusted course and and then we ended up in a really good spot we had access to some unique technology because of relationships that i built with vendors and these vendors offered us early access to a pretty compelling piece of technology. We got excited about it. We tried to apply it in the space that we knew well, which was surveillance and security. We didn't really get far, but then we realized through complete coincidence, we realized there's actually a much bigger opportunity in broadcast or or entertainment and cinematography. And so we just pivoted with the same group of people with the same technology. We started focusing on a new market and it became outrageously successful there. Yeah, and you go on and win an Academy Award. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. It, it, what a great example of having the right people together, the right network. And I love how you baked the, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and brought that down to, like you said, networking for commoners, building relationships uh, across your industry, across the vendors, the people you already knew. And then as those relationships matured, then the technology became, it became obvious what to do at some point once those relationships were there and the pivot was easier than it would be if you didn't have that network and you didn't have those people together. Yeah. So the, so the technology was unique in that it was smaller and lower power than what anyone else had ever done before. But we didn't really know what to make of that. We, we knew we had something that was special because it was small and low power. Only later we figured out that translates really well to making a camera-mounted accessory because you want that to be small and you want it to be battery-powered. And the same really goes for people. Almost everyone has something special in them. If you can identify that special and you can help them apply that special where it becomes impactful, then you helped them become successful and you will benefit from that success. Mm. Uh, What a great analogy. One of the other people that many leaders have cited over the years is uh, the work of Jack Welch. And of course, he's had many books that have come out and talking about leadership models. And you have really taken some of his work and reframed it a bit and and baked it again to think of like, what's going to be right for you and the focus of your organization and, and you've zeroed in on one word, passion, that's really come out of his work for you. Tell me a bit about that. So I read a number of his books. And there's really one thing that I kept, and that was an interview technique. And it said, during an interview, you should focus on five things, four E's and a P. And the four E's were energy, energizing, edge, experience, and then the P was passion. And I really like this because it's it, it kind of gives you a framework. It gives you a system to just guide the conversation, to try and figure out in such a short time frame what is this person across the table capable of. But but I felt that there was something wrong with this framework. The four E's and the P. It just didn't it didn't feel right for me because for me, passion was by far the most important. And then I I did something that's kind of awkward and funny. I put the P in front of the four E's. Now, I know that resulting <laughs> acronym doesn't sound great, but <laughs> right. hear me out. Okay. If, 
your candidate has passion, they will have energy to pursue that passion. And that energy of theirs will be infectious. So they will be energizing to the rest of the organization. And hopefully they have the edge to make hard decisions and one day they can maybe become a manager or a leader in your organization. But ultimately, the last one, experience, that's actually the the least important of all of those attributes because experience is the one thing that is available to all of us. I can teach people how to program and eventually they will become, they will be an experienced programmer. But I cannot teach people passion. I cannot make them energetic. So by flipping it around, I found for, for my management style, for what I wanted to do in my organization, passion was the leader. And if you really found that passion, the rest would almost automatically fall in place. It's the same model, but it's a different focus and a leading with a different intention. Again, it comes back to like molding it to you, your organization, the culture you've been building at Teradec in order to really line up well. And by doing that, you've discovered some some fun hacks along the way. And in particular, you've shared with me an interview hack that you use in order to really get to the heart of, of passion, haven't you? Yeah. So if you think of a typical interview, you have a resume that explains education and explains the experiences. And there's some skills that's captured on the piece of paper, but that's not what you want to talk about in the interview. So once you add all the pleasantries and all the now, clarifications and confirmations out of the way. What I like to do is set aside the resume and invite people to talk about what do they do when they don't work. Tell me what are your hobbies? What, what do you do? What excites you? What do you like to do if you have free time? Where would you like to travel to if that's your thing? And you just get them to talk about something that's now of their own interest. I, I don't pick a topic. I let them pick the topic. And then you can explore that topic with them. And it's not that hard. So let's say you know, they, they talk about biking and you can ask them, is it a mountain bike or a road bike or one of those fat tires on the beach? You start to explore that topic to a little bit more depth with them. And that, it's, it's generally pretty easy. You don't have to be an expert in that topic to be able to ask detailed questions. And you can tell very quickly if someone has a lot of knowledge and they get a little bit more energetic and they get very passionate about, say, talking about cooking then you know, okay, great. I now have someone that's very passionate about cooking. Then you can tell them, oh, so I just happened with you to discover one of your passions. Now let's take the conversation back to this job and let's try and see how can we together find something for you to be passionate about at work. Mm. Now, and now you basically help them just say, okay, I, I, I would love to do this. I really want to do that. And you actually purposefully decouple the conversation a little bit from the job description that you had out before. And you really make it more about what do you want to do? What do you think you're passionate about? Where do you think you can have the most impact in the organization? And then uh -huh. obviously you, you have to confirm that there's now overlap with your real needs. But that way you identified someone that is actually really, really energized and passionate about this prospect. Rather than just going over all the, you know, where did you study and how many years of experience do you have? Yeah, I, I love that you do that. And and like you said, it's not it's not the answer itself. I mean, it really almost doesn't matter what people say, but it's how they answer it. It's do they show that they've got passion about something? 
Do they go into the details of it? Do you see them light up? And when you see that, you know that this is someone who's a lot more likely to be able to translate that passion into something else, into the work they're, they'd be doing with you and the organization versus I'm guessing when you don't see that, you don't see someone that can that can really tap into that or lights up that, you know, they may be a good fit somewhere else, but they're not the right fit for your organization. That's right. So a lot of the hiring that I've done over the last decade or decade and a half was in the context of a startup. And and for that, you know, that's it's a life full of sacrifice, but also excitement. And so for that, you definitely need someone that's very passionate. If you hire someone in the finance department, you might want discipline and accuracy. But if you hire a creative, whether it's an engineer or someone in your marketing department, you really want that passion. You, you'll need it for them to thrive in that environment. Well, you know that one of the things that I often ask people at the end of conversations is what they've changed their mind on. You've had just so much success in the last few years. You've also navigated the change with the pandemic of the entertainment industry, of course, going through so much change and transition during this time. As you think about the last couple of years, I'm curious, what's something you've changed your mind on, Nickel? So I've always felt that leadership, you know, we always say in the academy, leaders are not born, they're made. Right. But I think you also recognize there they is some innate, inherent talent involved in leadership. I always thought of leadership as most people are candles in the wind and they'll blow whichever way the wind blows. But only some people is capable of actually blowing, of being that wind. And, and with this comes huge opportunity, but also huge responsibility because you have to use that for good. If you're going to have a lot of people follow you and allow you to lead them, you have to use that for good impact. And so for the longest time, I thought, okay, I, I can see this. I'll wear that cloak. I'll be the leader. I'll direct people. But we're going to do something meaningful. We're going to build product that change the world and make other people's lives easier, better. And, and that's the story of Teradek. We did that with great success. But over time, I realized you don't, have to, you don't have to look that far out to see where you can be impactful and where you can do good. You can actually look a lot closer. And I realized specifically when I listened to Johnny Taylor's episode 544, he said, in order to do good, you need to do good, which, which was a Intentional play in words, right? Yeah. But I thought, okay, actually, in this day and age, I think the world is just ready for us to look at it the other way around. First, you need to good, do good on others, and then you will do well yourself. So if you find yourself in this position where you can direct people, where you can lead people, and they, they will be candles that follow your wind, apply that to make sure that they are better off. And if you, so, if you if you apply everything we just spoke about, if you put them in a position where they can excel, you create an environment where they feel safe, you let them learn, they will serve you, and ultimately they will they will build a successful business. But it all starts by just having that focus of letting the people do well, rather than using the people to achieve something that does well. Nicole Verheem is the CEO of Teradec and the winner of an Oscar. Nickel, thank you so much for your wisdom. I so appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dave. It was great to be here. 
Hopefully this is obvious, but just in case it's not, neither Nickel or I are suggesting that you take someone else's model or work, change a word or two, and then claim it as your own and start sharing it everywhere. What we are saying, and what both of us see a lot of leaders miss, is getting past just introducing a new book or a model or an idea and actually taking the time to thoughtfully integrate that book or idea with your culture and how you're already leading. If you do it that way, you start to create a leadership tapestry that's informed a lot by the wisdom of the experts and others and starts to become more of your own. Several related episodes I'd also recommend that will support you in moving forward on that. One of them is episode 437, How to Know What You Don't Know with Art Markman. We talked about metacognition and how to really surface the things that maybe you don't see, but other people are seeing you around you. And in the spirit of that, relationships is one of the key things we talked about in that conversation. Leads right into what Nickel talked about in this conversation of networking and building those relationships that will stay with you for your whole career. Episode 437 with some principles on how to do that well. Also recommended episode 470, How to Build an Invincible Company with Alex Osterwalder. Uh, Nichols at Company Teradex has been an amazing example of an invincible organization that has done so well, even through the pandemic and all the challenges that have happened in the entertainment industry to continue to succeed. And so many of the principles that Alex talks about in that book have been at the heart of Teradex work over the years. Episode 470 for some of the key principles on that. In fact, Nickel has purchased that book for his entire team and they use it as one of their models to really find and utilize the best ideas. Also, finally recommended is episode 544. Nickel mentioned the work of Johnny Taylor Jr. On that episode, we talked about start finding overlooked talent. So many leaders are struggling right now to find talent Outside, uh, given all the macroeconomic forces that are happening, uh, the pandemic, so many things are changing. In episode 544, we talked about how to start finding overlooked talent in the places we don't typically look. Some key strategies for that in episode 544. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you will take a moment to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com, you'll get access to the entire library of episodes since 2011. This is a Saturday cast, so you'll find it filed under Saturday cast, including several other areas. If you'd like to hear the stories of many of our members, listeners, and academy members over the years, the Saturday cast is a great place to go inside the coachingforleaders.com website. In addition, you'll also get access to my own personal library, all of my book notes, the free audio courses, and the weekly leadership guide that comes every week. I'll be sharing all of the links of episodes in that guide and, of course, many of the resources I've been finding for you that will help support you in your next step in your leadership development. All of that over at coachingforleaders.com. The show is back on Monday with Dory Clark, who's been on several times before. Dory is out with a new book, and she is going to be teaching us about how to win the long game when the short term seems bleak. It's actually a great follow-up to this conversation. Join me for that with Dory on Monday. Have a great weekend, and I look forward to seeing you then.